friends to another episode of the Answer the Call podcast with me, Emily Gallagher, founder of business coaching company Conscious Boss, co-founder of nonprofit Sister Society, and honestly, all-around lover of life and believer that also life is always talking to us. And I'm here to help you answer that call in your life. That's really what this podcast is about. It's about supporting you in answering these calls in your life to listening to how life is really speaking to you individually and really learning to trust those nudges, trust those leans, that those invitations that life is giving you to grow and expand and to really see where you're being called to show up in your own life for your own personal evolution. And that is really truly where I feel like we live our most powerful and aligned lives because we're all put on this earth to live different ways to have different futures to experience different things and it's when we truly start to trust that call of life and start to answer that call that we really get to tap into living our lives in the most beautiful beautiful abundant aligned way and that is my belief and I believe that more and more and more every single day um, as I learn to trust myself and trust life even greater and in even deeper capacities Um, and today on the podcast, we're talking about relationships. And this is one of my favorite conversations to talk about. And, you know, it was at the end of last year when I went through my breakup and I had come back from Hoffman. And I was a really good friend of mine, um, beautiful friend of mine, Christine Hasler, um, and her husband, Stephanos, put this program together called Be the Queen. Um, and it was just a really healing experience for me to go through as I was going through this breakup and really utilizing the pain and the lessons to actually make sure that I grew from the breakup and actually grew from what I was going through and actually had that support and that container and that experience to really deep dive into myself, into why I was calling in a certain experience, into healing previous past other experiences, childhood experiences, you know, in the realm of relationships, it really is a beautiful, beautiful invitation to growth for us. And that was why I jumped into this program with today's guest and his beautiful wife, Chris. And so today on the podcast, we have the amazing Stephanos and he is really a beautiful space. I really enjoyed working with him and he's such a loving, beautiful space um, of celebration and acknowledgement and seeing the feminine and also really bringing a beautiful masculine approach to, you know, the work that we do as women in these relationships. So whether you're a woman or a man, this podcast is definitely for you. Um, and I want to just introduce Steph a little bit more so you have a little bit of background into the the magic of this man. So Stephanos has been immersed in deep men's empowerment work and the exploration of intimate and sacred relationships underlining sacred there because he speaks a lot about this on instagram merging the best of eastern and western methodologies and philosophies to promote balance union and power in life and love using integrative techniques and methods such as neural empowerment shamanic praxis holotropic and biodynamic breathwork trauma release and integration western psychology eastern mysticism and more stephanos has created programs models and systems to enhance the quality of your life your intimate relationships and in essence bring you closer to your potential 
I'm just going to get an amen for that. Having worked with thousands of men and women from all over the world, elite special forces soldiers, Olympic gold medalists, some of the best fighters, multiple world champions, and leveraging physical challenge as an opportunity for transformation and expansion, Stefanos has learned much about the male and masculine condition, and as a result, deep insight into the feminine and female condition. Having also traversed the depths of his own pain, suicidal thoughts, and fears profoundly, he has overcome destructive patterns and has faced and overcome multiple ego deaths. Stephanos understands there is difference between culturally defined masculinity and sacred masculinity. He further explores what it means to be a good man and to be good at being a man in today's world. By restructuring and reframing his own masculinity and movement through the world as a man relating to himself, his environment, woman, and his purpose, he has discovered and created methodologies and innovative models for navigating the often difficult path of contemporary manhood and intimate relationships. Stefanos places his focus and energy towards evolving the nature of relationships in contemporary times. An advocate and proponent of sacred union, Stefanos believes cultivating healthy relationships to self, ideas, others, our lovers, and the earth will liberate humanity towards a new, empowered expression of itself. Heyo! Through a deeper connection to God, earth, and self, Stephanos realized the power of the human spirit. We often avoid challenge, fear, and pain. However, for the modern man, now more than ever, they are tools for transformation that help us heal universally. And I will also say, you know, a lot of this is speaking to men, but this podcast is for men. This is for women. This was a really juicy episode, and I was kind of like a kid at a candy store <laughs> asking Steph all of the questions because I have so much that I am intrigued about with relationships and dating and what it takes to really build a powerful relationship in today's world and the intricacies of men and women and how we approach dating and relationships differently. So this was really, really fun to sit down and chat with Steph. Um, we covered so much ground Everything from what Steph really wants women to know about men to what he wants men to know about women to infidelity to shame to how to really change your relationship future, how to use your intuition to amplify dating, how to really know your value and how that really impacts the kinds of relationships that you are calling in and some specific steps that you can take to start implementing and improving your value and essentially impacting your results in relationship as well we really covered so much masculine and feminine dynamics um, paying in relationships and receiving it was really really juicy and I know that you'll get a lot of value um, in this episode so I would absolutely love if you could tag and share this episode on your Instagram if you're listening to it and tag Stephanos and myself um, make sure you're following Steph because he shares so much value over on Instagram and all of those links are down below so Without further ado, here is my chat with Steph and all things relationships, dating, men, women, all the things. Let's get into it. All right, Steph, I am so excited to have you here on the podcast. As I just mentioned, I have like a page full of notes. I feel like you are so, so, so wise in the uh, topics of and the realms of dating, relationships, masculine, feminine, and just all of the things that are so, so juicy in my life right now. So I feel very excited to sit down with you and be able to have this conversation. So welcome to the show. Um, and I would love to hear, I guess, in your words, I know from um, listening to some of your stuff and knowing you personally that you kind of went through a bit of a transformation um, 
in the space of relationships, which I think is really important because this if this podcast is about answering the call, right? I believe that life is always sending us signs and signals to allow us to explore what's next for us in our life. And I know for you, relationships wasn't necessarily the most powerful part of your life from the get-go. So maybe we could start by um, you letting us know like what led you into being so passionate about the realm of dating and relationships and masculine and feminine because this is such a juicy topic that we all need to become. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Thank you. Thank you so much for, thank you so much for having me, first of all, and appreciate being here. And so for me, the biggest catalyst for moving into understanding why relationships are so important were my own personal experiences. And what that looked like for me was a shit ton of suffering in relationship, uh, not being authentic and in integrity in relationship, being unfaithful, Mm -hmm. having ideas and beliefs around how I was allowed to be and, and how... Uh, things needed to be in relationship, you know, the, 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 the old gender norms and, and skewed versions of masculine and feminine dynamics, not really understanding my place, not understanding my role, not understanding what, what it took to have healthy relationships because I never grew up with healthy relationships. My, mm. my examples, my primary examples of relationships, pretty much all of them were very unhealthy very extreme, very unsustainable, you know, open bracket, toxic, close bracket. So, you know, toxic relationships essentially, you know, this toxicity in relationship just means unsustainable, unhealthy, mm-hmm. extreme behavior. That's really mm-hmm. it. And I experienced a lot of that. And so I didn't have many healthy working models and couple that with my unwillingness to look at my pain and my suffering and my trauma and my shadow stuff and making choices around being ignorant, really, I, I, I got myself into a lot of trouble in relationships and I just couldn't make them work. I, I, I struggled, I suffered, I was repeating patterns. It was the same, same relationship, different face, different people, but I was mm. a common denominator. And so when I, when that... Inconvenient truth. <laughs> yeah, correct, yeah. When, when, when the... the the straw that broke the camel's back was a relationship a number of years ago where she found out that I was being unfaithful and that was a very difficult thing for me to face and it brought up a lot of shame and a lot of pain and witnessing of her pain and that my 100% of the relationship, for the, well, my 100% for the 50% of the relationship was not in integrity. I, I just wasn't. And... I just started asking a lot of questions and I started feeling a lot. And that's when I started making some really big changes, really big changes. Mm. Oh my gosh. It's, and I know this entire podcast is going to be like this, but there's 10,000 places I want to go with all of that. (laughs) And I think that, um, I think one thing that is for sure is that most of us, which is really a sad truth, most of us haven't had powerful examples of relationships in our life. Mm. You know, like I grew up with a very, you know, pretty dysfunctional example of relationship which has kind of became more to my attention recently the actual gravity of it and that's not a blaming thing but it's I think one of the things is really realizing how impacted we are by our family system which I think is a ton you know a a rabbit hole we could definitely go down um 
But I think a lot of us haven't had the actual examples of what a powerful relationship actually looks like. Like I can think on a couple of, I can count on one hand, even today in the conscious, amazing circles that I run in, relationships that I actually think that I would want, you know? Mm. And I think that, um, you know, you and Christine being one of them, a couple of my other friends being one of them. And, you know, I think that people underestimate the importance of, actually choosing a powerful relationship in your life and then also that they require work I feel like there's kind of this mentality that good relationships just happen and you know I know that you have done a lot of work to face off with who you need to be in order to call in Christine and also have that amazing relationship and I know even myself the amount of work that I've done you know working with you and Christine right Mm -hmm. now in your program and what do you say to kind of people that think that just relation good relationships should just happen Oh, good relationship, nothing just happens per se. And if it does happen, well, so here's the, here's the paradox. Nothing just happens and everything just happens. And so right. the, the premise behind what I'm saying there is that if we allow our unconscious beliefs, models of reality, values, and the way that we view ourselves in the world, the way that we give and receive love, to permeate our existence. In other words, if we don't deal with the stuff that's really strong in our field, that's affecting how we think about the world and ourselves and that drives our actions, then the likelihood of good relationships happening uh, are going to be very, very minimal because we're generally driven by survival. And so our fear centers are going to be active and we're going to be in survival mode and protective mode. And so we're usually protecting ourselves from trauma or pain or difficulty that we've experienced as young people. And so good relationships, really healthy relationships are a product of effort, attention, deliberate intention and awareness around what we actually want and desire and what we need in order to have a healthy relationship, how we define a healthy relationship. That requires effort, that requires awareness, that requires us thinking about what we truly want. That requires clearing a lot of the past that is driving so much of who we are. And just to give some substance to that very quickly is we have 60 to 70,000 thoughts a day. The vast majority of those thoughts, so 90, 95% of those thoughts are unconscious and 90, 95% of those thoughts are recycled thoughts. And so many of us are just living in the past, yet it's in the present. And it just keeps permeating the present. And so the choice is that we get to think very actively and deliberately, consciously about what we want to create. So healthy relationships or life can just happen to us if we leave it unchecked. And if we really want to orchestrate and architect our lives, we have to be deliberate. Yes. And I think that's something, 100%. And I think that's something that is... I was reading or listening to something the other day and it was someone who says, you know, in all areas of our life where we want to have excellence, we're willing to put the time in and practice and understand that we need to do that. But there is this kind of expectation that relationships don't require that effort. And I think that that's, you know, why a lot of people end up in, you know, situations. And like you said, that that those fears get triggered where this is going to be the best that we'll get or, you know, all of our self-worth things that come up. And like you mentioned, like the shame. And I'd love to kind of... um, I'd love to touch on actually the cheating, right? So you mentioned the um, infidelity in a previous relationship because this is something for me that came up in a past relationship that infidelity was, in my experience, was a pattern. There was it happened had happened a number of times in their previous in their past that I was like, oh, you know, like that is a red flag for me because integrity is a really really high value of mine. 
Um, so I'm really curious. I'd love to have a conversation with you, obviously, as someone who's actually, you know, been in that experience and come through and changed. What would you share or say about, you know, say, for example, women out there or men out there who have met people that in the past that's happened, what would you say about when that would maybe be safe to enter into that consciously knowing that that person's kind of done that in the past? So what you're asking is essentially is it is there a time period or something, a series of events that must happen before that with someone that has been unfaithful um, before the next relationship yeah. and, and how the person coming in would feel safe? Essentially. So for me, it was like a really big red flag, but I actually still entered into that relationship. However, I'd be curious to know, like, at which point is there a line where it is a red flag? At which point is the line that someone's learned and grown for that? And how would you kind of determine or know that? Um, Or what would you need to see in order to feel like, yeah, that's safe to move forward in that space? Because there is a part of it that's like, you can't just hold people to their past, but then there's also a part where you have to see what's on the table. So do you have anything around kind of like how to decipher that? And this could be infidelity. It could also be other things, other other ways this person maybe has shown up in the yeah. past that now it's you know it doesn't have to just be infidelity. Yeah. So so when someone when someone has essentially if someone is still in their shadow behavior, if someone hasn't got awareness of their past, if they're still hiding, if they're still in secret secrecy. Uh, if it, depending on what their core wounding is, you know, if they're avoidant of intimacy, um, if they still carry a lot of shame and guilt, um, if they're disregarding of others, if they're, you know, hiding their phones and their passwords and their computers still, mm. um, if they're if they if they have a carelessness about them, if they have an arrogance about them. Uh, these these can be warning signs. Mm-hmm. Um, if there is if there is a, a disrespect and disregard for the feelings of someone else, and so if they lack empathy and lack compassion, if you see them still overtly mistreating themselves and not respecting themselves, mm-hmm. chances of them respecting someone else is not going to be high. If they're out of integrity with their word and their action. These are signs as well that, you know, if they have a very volatile or unhealthy relationship with their parents and siblings, if they, if they haven't really healed that or mm-hmm. unwilling to heal that, these are signs that they're probably unwilling to heal wounds within themselves. And again, these aren't cut and dry um, signs and signals. Yeah. However, if a few of these or many of these start to stack up consistently over time, these can be warning signs. And so a natural question to ask, well, how do you figure that out on a first date or, or on a first few dates? You know, mm. for, the, for the ladies out there, you have that superpower of intuition and, mm. and critical discernment as well. And if you drop into your body, you drop into your heart, you can ask yourself, is, is, and you don't have to know this consciously, but you can ask, is... Is there a matching here? Is are the, the words matching the actions? Is there is there a miss? Is there a disconnect in what's being said and what I'm feeling? And the subtleties of someone's behaviour as well. You know, are they are they clear in what they're doing and where they are? Are they are they clear in how they're communicating? Are they flaky in in their um, in their commitments as well? Like, you're noticing these things and 
and asking key questions as well. Like literally be very upfront and honest. I'm not saying on the first date, but be upfront and honest and maybe share vulnerably about your past and some of the things that you've worked through and ask, um, and you, maybe you don't even have to ask, or you can ask directly to reciprocate. Well, some, what are some of the wounds and pains that you've experienced? And if they're very reluctant to ask, to answer and respond to that, it's potentially giving you some insight into where they're at within their own personal growth journey. Mm, I love that. And I even when you're sharing that, I was thinking about you know, it's probably not until recently and probably, part, you know, I'm sure part of, you know, being in the program with you and Christine and some of the other work that I've been doing, I wouldn't even have been comfortable to mm. ask that question. And I think that that this sometimes happens is the sort of surface level dating. And I think, I think as well with, with women more because of the way that things have been in society is that primarily or historically there's been this energy of like waiting to be chosen, Mm. right. Versus really being discerning and choosing. And I know for myself, like stepping so much more into the space of being discerning, being open, being willing to be completely upfront and not be afraid that asking a question like that is going to scare someone off. Right. Um, And I think that that in in and of itself is, is again, growth to actually be like, wow, I would actually not have asked that question before. So of course you're never going to get that answer. Um, But that's something that, I don't know, maybe there's something you can speak to in regards to the masculine and feminine or what maybe way things have been in the sense of, I'm sure if I was afraid to ask a question like that, other women were afraid to ask questions like that. Um, And maybe there's, I don't know what the question is, but just sort of the dynamics of entering into dating from a place of, I guess, wholeness or acceptance or self-worth and even having the confidence to ask questions like that. Um, And I guess maybe it's like if someone doesn't receive that question well, then you've got your answer, right? Yeah, correct. I agree with you there. And there is no... The only way it's easy to ask that question is from two two perspectives. When you're not attached to the outcome, three things, three things. You're not attached to the mm-hmm. outcome. Mm-hmm. You trust yourself, trust essentially. So you trust yourself, the nature of the conversation, the dynamic, where it's going, mm-hmm. even if you don't know. So there's got to be trust in the unknown. And you've done enough mm-hmm. inner work and self-work to carry a higher level of self-worth. And you know your value. Yeah. And that will decrease the fear around asking really important questions that help you sooner rather than later figure out, is this person right for me or am I really wasting my time? Yes. That's the simplicity and of I it. Was, like, um, if you don't back yourself, yeah. and you, but the thing is to have that higher level of self-worth, you've got to do the work. What does doing the work mean? That means exploring your shadow, dealing with your fears, dealing with your pain, dealing with your fear of rejection, focusing on your mummy issues and your daddy issues and and really equilibrating and neutralizing that. Not everyone has this, but most of us do. Figuring Figuring out what your pain points are and becoming more comfortable with them, knowing your your own worth, surrounding yourself with people, a tribe that support you, that see you, that reflect back to you your value. These are the things that we need to do in order to gain deeper levels of self-worth. Yes, and I, I'm so grateful that you just uh, explained that because sometimes I find, and I, you know, when people say doing the work, it can be a mm. mystery. Okay, well, what is this work? <laughs> what do I really need to do? And so I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that you um, explained that. And for anybody listening too, like, for me, my personal journey with this, like I always put, I used to put guys on a, up until now, um, I put guys on a pedestal and I had this kind of, 
there's definitely there was lack of self-worth in, in regards to um, intimate relationships in that way. I didn't see my, my value to the extent that I do now, um, didn't see my value to the extent that I do now and kind of just would be more in the sort of pleaser energy mm. and kind of choose me energy. And I, again, I do think a lot of women have that just because of, you know, historically the patriarchy and all the things that we're probably not going to dive too much into. But um, And it has been a lot of work and a lot of focused work on really knowing that I want that area of my life to shift and, you know, a lot of looking at all the, the ways that I have been impacted. And, you know, this would be a great thing for all of you to do is to look at your relationship dynamics and I'm sure, you know, and work with someone like Steph to, to have that support. Um, but, you know, what I realized last, at the end of last year when I spent seven days at a Hoffman process, mm. you know, diving deep into all of this was the level to which I was affected by, you know, the my relationship with my parents and the abandonment that I would have experienced. And I think that I didn't have that conscious awareness of that because I had no blame about my family. Like I knew there was things that weren't ideal, but I think what's important for people to remember too, and maybe you can speak to this is when you're a, that young person getting imprinted by this dynamic, like that's, it's not your conscious adult mind that is saying, Oh no, I'm fine. Mm. Cause I can deal with it now that younger child that was actually growing up in that experience that formed those beliefs that for many people have gone unidentified. And those are why, like you said, we're having different relationships with the same face um, because we don't really associate that we have those issues, but they're actually there. Yeah. And it can be tough. I, I really, I really hear um, what you're saying when you, when you, when you say that around, some of us don't know that we have parental issues and it's not mm. too difficult to figure it out. If you have, if you are consistently having arguments with your parents, you have an unhealthy dynamic, you sort of dread getting on the phone with them. It's it's really difficult to extract the conversation from them. You have ill feelings towards how you grew up with them. You may be constantly frustrated and agitated with them, or, or vice versa, or it's reciprocated. It's probably telling you there's an unhealthy dynamic there that's vested somewhere in in the past. Um, mm. and so I would, I would be, I would be looking at that. Yeah. And see the, the thing though, for me is that I actually, I have, I mean, my father's mm. passed away, but, um, I have a great relationship with my mom. And even when I consciously think about both of them, there's no tension. There's just love. Right. But it was only at the end of last year that I realized, oh, and I think that's why it's kind of interesting is even if you, there is a, a good dynamic now, when you were growing up, there was something that was imprinted on you that still gets to be looked at like I still realized that I was definitely shaped by you know emotional unavailability and instability and lots of things that have then shaped me up until now that as an adult I didn't see but was actually there from when I was mm. younger yeah so so another way for people that are really stuck in terms of uh, I don't I don't remember that I had a painful past or I don't you know my oh, my relationship's okay with my parents now Literally just sit with yourself for a period of time. You know, maybe you do this over days or weeks and just reflect on your childhood and reflect on the experiences that you had. And here's something interesting. If you can't remember a lot of your childhood, that could be giving you some insight into why you're blocking a lot of your childhood out. At the very least, it will prompt you to check in on your memory. Yeah. Yeah, no, I love that. Even actually being at the Hoffman process, um, 
I had so many memories come back that I just didn't remember about, you know, both good mm. and I guess, you know, bad. Um, but yeah, I think that, I think, yeah, I, I mean, I love all of this. Like I said, there's so many places that I want to go. I'd love to talk a little bit about some of the, because um, as a woman, obviously I, I love to get this insider info on all things Ooh. men from a man <laughs> um, and a man that works with men. And, you know, firstly, like as well, thank you so much for doing this work because I think it really does, you know, I, what I always say is you can't become what you can't see, mm. right? And the same thing with you can't can't necessarily, or it's harder to believe in something that you can't see. So I think, you know, you doing this work and being a conscious man in this space, you know, provides this essentially reassurance, like, oh, okay, no, there are guys out there that are, are like this. And um, so thank you for that and for doing more of this work with men. Um, because something that I've kind of come to realize is, like I said before, I used to sort of put guys on a pedestal. And now what I'm kind of realizing is that they're actually, or you're actually, um, you know, a lot more sensitive than I think you're given credit for because of the way that you're all brought up. Um, so maybe there's even something you can speak into with that, maybe the vulnerabilities and the sensitivities that you see working with men um, that maybe more women need to be aware of or even the men that are listening to that, like the things that they can kind of do to get support in that space and yeah lean into those edges mm. and how that can support us in relationships and both yeah, it's, it, I'll do my best to answer the question as I've interpreted it, it's difficult for men just course correct me if I'm um, going off track no go for it so it's it's difficult for men in our culture and subculture to deal with pain and fear generally speaking it's not something that is massively accepted uh, men emoting and men expressing and men understanding themselves is something that's almost shunned in society. Um, and so there's a challenge that comes with that. And I'm not suggesting by any means that the, the crux of masculinity is emoting or free emotional expression. I just feel it's part of yeah. being human to actively have access to what we are experiencing in life and to be able to express that accordingly in a healthy way. One of the ways men can do that is to surround themselves with other healthy men that are non-judgmental, that see them, that inspire them, that still challenge them, challenge them to be the best version of themselves, to bring out the, the greatest aspects of who they are, to question are they, are they, you know, are they playing a big enough game? Are they really bringing their best to the life, relationships, their mission, who they are, how they father, how they parent, how they show up as a friend, how they show up in society as a, as a, as a member of tribe, you know, community and so forth. And that's a really important part is coming from a place of, okay, I need to, I need to surround myself with men that see me and that also pull me forward and challenge me. And that there, that's a very powerful starting point and a very difficult one for so many men because one of the biggest issues men face is isolation. Now, we're all social creatures as human yeah. beings. However, for, again, for various reasons, men are more isolated than, than um, females. It's, it's, one of the, it's one of the reasons why, um, you know, suicide in, in men is so... Suicide in men is so rampant. I mean, it really, it really is. I mean, when we look at the statistics, um, let me let me 
let me just rattle off some statistics that are probably a little bit outdated by memory, but let me just go there anyway. Um, uh, let me just think. Sorry, I've got to, you know, okay. Un- unemployed yeah. men, for example, they commit suicide at, at least twice the rate of um, employed men. Mm. And among women, there's no difference in the rate of suicide. So based on whether or not yeah. the woman is employed. Um, as an example, right? So again, what what it's it's yeah. leading us to understanding? Okay, what are the some of the pressures that men face? Because women face their own pressures, and we face pressures as a humanity. A husband whose wife dies is about, I'd say, at least from my remembered research, ten to twelve times more likely to commit suicide than a wife whose husband dies. I mean, mm. um, yeah. the suicide rate of adolescent boys. I mean, that's oh, that's. Yeah. Well, four to six times uh, more than than adolescent girls. I mean, there, there's a lot. There's a lot here, you know. And these are just some basic statistics. Yeah. There are a lot more, you know. I, there are reasons for this, and so this sense of isolation, not having research, tells us that when we emotionally suppress ourselves and our expression, we are multiple times more likely to get cancer than smoking cigarettes. So if men are isolated, when we correct when we emotionally wow. ex- suppress ourselves. So if we if we have, as men are isolated, and we don't have an outlet for expression and emoting in a healthy, quote unquote, masculine way, right? And we don't have that support. We're we're more likely to be sick, in that sense, than anyone else. And so mm. we have to start looking at this. There's there's an issue with this. We we were born in community. We, we were relational, communal beings. Men are not exempt from that. Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't mean that men can't be self-reliant and be um, mm-hmm. self-contained, but it does mean that we also get to be with other healthy men. Yeah, I mean... Yes, preach, mm. because one of the biggest things I, I think just across the board, you know, people, our environment, our community, the people we spend time with is one of, I think, the most paramount and important things that we can do in order to live a successful, you know, passionate mm. life because we become who we're around. So, but like you're, like you're sharing, men are more prone to isolation. Um, and then, and then there's, if they're not in isolation, are they really being surrounded by, and this isn't just for men, obviously mm. this is for anyone, but are they really making that conscious effort to be surrounded by people that can see them, challenge them, call them forward, hold space for that emotion, you know, emotion, the emotions. Um, and I even look at my dad who was suffered so much grief and so much trauma in his life. A lot of it never resolved. Um, you know, who ended up dying of lung cancer over, you know, a four year span, but I'm a huge, I mean, I just know it in my heart that a part, a big part of that was unresolved um, mm. trauma and grief that was never really looked at. And he was, you know, very volatile and angry yeah. for a lot of his life as well. And, you know, it really can have those physical ramifications like you're speaking to. Um, so it's so important, makes it so much more important because it's not just like suffering and bearing it. It's like this really has consequences in real term. Um not looking at this stuff and not managing this stuff and not making it yeah, a priority. Yeah, you'll you see, you see that men will generally go one of two ways. They'll either be uh, violent and, and volatile out in the world 
or they'll be they'll minimise themselves and hide from the world. Generally, and you know, this is on a spectrum, and there's everything yeah. else in between. Of course. Yeah, I mean, I have I have someone in my life who is definitely in the isolation and the minimizing and the you know the self beat up and it's really 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 painful to to watch and and this you know when I was thinking about this too it was it's like hard to know and and maybe it's as a woman or as a friend but I think even women who are in relationships with men that have this like how is it best to because it's different with trying to support a man than it is trying to support a woman like how does a woman best support men in her life that maybe are experiencing you know, this, this isolation or this pain or this um, lack of expression, because, you know, I know the masculine is all about thinking it's their idea and the specific ways of going about that. So how would a woman, maybe it's someone who's dating, you know, in a relationship or has men in her life, how, how do we best support men in evolving in this way or getting the support they need or healing or, you know, fill in the blank, whatever we can do? Yeah, most definitely. And so, Compassion and non-judgment is essential Mm. when we're meeting anyone with trauma Mm. or unresolved pain and wounding. Now, Mm. there's a caveat to that. You must also simultaneously set healthy boundaries for yourself. In other words, you have to be self-honoring. So it's all good and well to be compassionate and non-judgmental to the point where you're not critiquing someone harshly for who they're being. But if you're allowing yourself to be injured or emotionally hurt or abused, physically, emotionally, sexually, whatever it may be, that's not healthy. And that's, that's, that's also a reflection on your self-worth. But more importantly, you need to take action and get away. So mm-hmm. you know, if, if, that, if that person is willing to do their work and willing to get, seek help and support and tools and techniques to help shift them from an undesirable to desirable state of being, then if you can support them in a compassionate and non-judgmental way, you will accelerate their healing. You will help accelerate their healing. And that's the beauty of us being relational beings. We help each other. That's how we serve each other. However, you have to set your healthy boundaries. You've got to know yourself, know your values, know your, non- know your non-negotiables and move from there. Mm. Mm. Yeah, which is a tough one, especially I think for women who are more – more relationally focused, um, you know, just by our wiring, it can be a, a tough line to cut that cord of like really having that empathy and that compassion and that desire to see something be different for someone. And then also where that line is of really like honoring self, um, definitely, definitely a reflection of worth and, um, but, but super important because I think also sometimes we can enable mm. behavior too, oh, yeah. right, by just allowing it to continue to, to, to remain unchanged. Um, I'd love to dial in because I know that you are an expert at um, masculine and feminine dynamics. And I know that there's a lot of women in my network and a lot of people that are listening, both men and women, but um, I think women probably put a little more focus on this. Uh, that could be a projection. <laughs> that may not be true. But um, learning how to, you know, like, date and call in relationships in this day and time like I feel like there is it's such a different dynamic now both in so many ways in terms of how people date the swipe culture um the shifting of masculine and feminine roles in society um even understanding what masculine and feminine is um just all of these different things that have been thrown into this whirlpool of like trying to find an amazing partner in this world can you maybe speak to um like I question that I have is like 
you know, we hear uh, guys are confused these days, you know, like women want a man to come up to them and ask them out and take them out. And then, you know, men are feeling confused as the woman want that. What is your kind of current take, I guess, on uh, the dating culture, the way that men and men potentially are, um, and women, because you work with a lot mm. of women too, are experiencing dating these days? Because I'll also just... You and um, Christine obviously work together now. So Christine Hasler is Steph's beautiful wife, who's a friend of mine. And um, I saw you guys speak in Newport Beach last weekend. And it was so fun seeing you guys did this amazing little role play of like texting and like the frustration that both the men and women have and the confusion and the back and forth. And it was just hilarious. Um, So maybe you could kind of speak into a little bit of what you see on both sides of the dating dynamics um, in today's world. Yeah, so what I'm seeing in today's dating dynamics is isolation, is fear Mm. around leading, fear around being led, fear around choices, Mm. uh, fear around setting healthy boundaries because there's a scarcity mentality. Are there really many good men or good women out there? If I set healthy boundaries, I'm limiting my pool of accessible accessible men or women and what does that mean for me and I'd better just be a bit looser around my healthy values. So we're compromising our values, compromising ourselves. Mm. That's not healthy. Mm-hmm. So that's happening massively. Um, and we're losing ourselves in that. I'm seeing this mm. fear around am I ever going to be with anyone? Am I ever going to meet anyone? This fear around doing work, like doing the work, effort, effort in relationship. People have this unrealistic idea that, oh, it's going to be smooth sailing. It's just going to be easy. Now, I'm I'm all for uh, flow in relationship and absolutely it needs to be like that. However, challenges are going to arise in relationship and that's okay. Mm. That can be healthy. It's how we deal with the challenges. But this expectation of perfection, this, this Disney version of what love and connection, intimacy, dating, relationships are, uh, it's it's skewing our ability to remain in a space of, oh, I'm in relationship and I'm being challenged. How can I grow from this? Instead of asking those questions, we're saying, ah, next one, oh, let's swipe now, swipe, 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 swipe. We're addicted to the hormonal rush of the honeymoon phase. Again, th- th- there's nothing wrong with if you're the type of person that just wants to be in a relationship for six months to 18 months, once the honeymoon phase wanes off and sometimes it's longer than that or sometimes it's shorter, then you move on to the next person. That's great. But we're lacking this transparency and, 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 um, and clarity about what we want and then expressing that to potential partners because we're fearful of rejection, particularly men. We're fearful of being abandoned. We're fearful of being judged. And so we're presenting these fake profiles online. And when I, when I say fake, to the extent that some people are putting completely different photos up, that aren't even them. They're different people. It's fucking absurd. Wow. We are not taking ownership That's of who we really are. Insane. There's this epidemic of low self-worth. Um, I'm so glad you're recording this, actually, because I'm, I'm really ranting right now. I don't even know. I mean, I'm really good. Yeah. No, but I haven't really – I haven't really – no one's ever asked me that question in that way, and I've never really responded in this way. And I'm just – I'm sort of listening to myself as yeah. I'm talking. I'm thinking, fuck, dating's hard. And and but but it is because we're not being ourselves and we're not stepping into responsibility and ownership of what we want and we're not being clear with what we want and so we're playing these games, both men and women, and then we're justifying our actions by oh because I did this a lot what what they don't know won't hurt them 
and it's okay. Oh, we're just the beginning stages or we've only been dating for three months or we've only been dating for six months or I don't need to go there and tell them that or I don't need to make this effort here because we're not really connected. It's, it's like we're losing, we're losing this ability to, to go. We're scared of intimacy. We're scared of intimacy and connection. We're losing our ability to actually go there. Mm-hmm. And I think also the humanness, like I feel like especially with the swipe culture, it's like there's this lack of humanity that's entered the space where it's like, like you just said, oh, I've only been dating for this long or what they don't know, don't hurt them. And it's like we've lost this kind of honoring, I think, as well of like who, the other person and that they're just, a, you know, because we do have this just next, 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 next thing and there's no real connection and we're just kind of like moving on and not really like giving respect to the fact that there's a person on the other mm. side and that there's feelings and just in, t- integrity in general. Like like you say, like it just blows my mind that someone would be on there and then have a different photo or like lie about their age. And I'm like, this is going to come out at some point. Like what's happening here? This is wild to me. Me too. Um, I mean, I yeah. And I mean, I just had an experience recently with um, an ex that was very eye-opening to me where I really saw – in a way like just and that's why I was I wrote down just now when you said especially men in terms of fear of rejection because I think that's really interesting um because I think again it brings up it highlights the sensitivity that I think women don't necessarily acknowledge and I didn't for a long time I was like afraid of being rejected by men and you don't take into account like the sensitivity of of men as well um but you know where this man that I dated essentially just like made up this elaborate lie once I want my my experience was once I didn't sort of reply in a certain way and I was like oh that's that's really not true what you just wrote but okay like protect just protecting right and not being willing to just actually share what he felt or thought Mm. and be truthful and transparent and it's like it's really sad because there was like I was at a place where I was like just wanting that from him and his inability or unwillingness to do it you know, created essentially the result that he was probably afraid of, you know? So it's kind of becomes this like self-fulfilling prophecy, like you said, this fear of intimacy. But essentially it keeps us stuck from the things yeah, we actually Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, you know, you just, and I want to be transparent about something as well. When in my, my younger days where I was very disconnected from myself and inauthentic and dishonest, I would also lie as well. I'd be in a relationship and I'd be maybe talking to other women and I would be telling them that, I either don't have a girlfriend or I, I'm not in a relationship or I'm in a relationship and we have an open relationship. And I was, I was full of lies, like full of lies because I had so much yeah. insecurity about who I was and I masked that with bravado and facade and, and pretense and, and ego and, and fear, so much fear. And, and, and I, I was that, that's a very common thing. We lie to protect our sense of self. This is a huge, it's, it's in, built into our brains. This is a survival mechanism. And if we don't become more aware of who we are in the world and what's important to us and the types of lives that we want to live, if we don't really take steed of that and be self-reflective, we're going to continue to experience disconnection and dishonesty because we're lying to ourselves. Hmm. Which is the the worst person to ever lie to, really. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know. It's all bad, but I mean, you know, when you're lying to yourself, you're really blocking yourself off from really doing things differently. And I think that this, again, comes down to environment. 
if you're surrounded by people that are also behaving in similar ways, then it becomes natural and normal that you would treat either men or women in the same way because it's it's being accepted by your community or your environment. Like, oh, my friends do that and this, you know, because we just accept the standards of those around us inherently as a social culture. And again, why it's so important to have that community and those people around you that stand and sort of say, um, that's really not cool. And like, why, why are you doing that? And, you know, just to really hold that moral standard and to support the growth out of those dysfunctional behaviors. Mm. Yeah. Like the people in my life have been huge for that. And the, you know, the, the coaches, the environments, the, the programs, the people that, again, and also that show you what is possible for you if you want to actually face off with, um, face off with that. Um, so, Again, there's just so many things I want to talk about, but talk to me a little bit about, because this was really transformative for me, and I know it was also something that was popular with the girls and our, um, the women mm. in our program, in your program. Um, something that was a block for me as like an independent woman like, that can takes care of herself and takes, you know, takes care of business and all of those things has been for me like a, le- a, a learning that as I... S- to me with the relationship has been as I've cultivated more self-worth in myself Mm, mm, um, and not tried to be the boss and be the moneymaker and be the person that, you know, is trying to achieve in order to feel mm, worthy to bring that mm, to the table. So essentially very masculine driven. mm, Um, I've sort of come to realize that I actually really want someone in relationship who is, you know, that more masculine provider energy, the one that, you know, it's not about, but so this for me, the block has been, like even as I say that, like I feel like this fear of like being judged for like trying mm. to take someone for a ride or have be this helpless woman who just wants a man to come and save mm. her. And, you know, so it's been an interesting change for me internally. But um, I'd love for you to maybe speak to because it was great in our call that we had around the desire for the masculine to provide and also the the desire for the feminine to receive and the inherent sort of natures and the polarity because you speak a lot about polarity. Um of that. So maybe you could speak a little bit about what polarity really is and also why it's important in relationship for people to be aware of that. Yeah, sure. So the the essential value of polarity is magnetism and attraction. So if we don't have polarity, That's we're not attracted. It's a simple it's contrast. Yeah. It's as simple as that. So let me let me give you an example. Food becomes more attractive when you're hungry. You have the contrast of being hungry and food satisfies that hunger. Contrast. Mm -hmm. When we're talking about relationship dynamics, which are far more complex, of course, so far more complex, (laughs) let me reiterate that, far more more fucking complex, (laughs) because you're talking about development of language, you know, the, the, the different parts of the brain that are evolving, you're talking about childhood wounding, the unconscious mind, the conscious mind. You're talking about values, beliefs, models of reality, ways that we do things, habits. Oh, fuck. I mean, it doesn't. The surprise we ever yeah. get it right. With yeah, yeah. Them. Well, that's, that's what I'm saying. Like, and that's why yeah. most people don't because it's effort and people just don't want to go there. Right. right? True. True. Um, mm-hmm. So when we're talking about the complexity of relationships and it's also not that, oh, I want to say it's also not that massively complex, right? Um, yeah. It's like it's complex, but also so simple that it's yeah. cool, that it's an intricate dance. Yeah, yeah. To, I, I want I, I want to say yes to to an extent. That's that's very true. It is an intricate dance, and 
it's also massively not that complex. Um, mm. So if we're talking about polarity, right, let's talk about core essence of masculinity and core essence of femininity for just for a moment. And so if we're looking at the primary driving force of what it means to be masculine, we're looking at the, the, the direction that the masculine has in life, uh, one's life mission, one's, I don't want to use the word obsession, but a finely attuned focus on what's important in giving the world the external validation, the external giving to society, to community, to tribe, whatever it may be, right? And remember, masculine feminine energies reside within all of us. The truth of it is that we're going to find that most women are going to be more comfortable and more aligned with having a core essence of femininity and more men are going to be more aligned with having a core essence of masculinity. And we're afraid to say that because it borders on the, on the, on the, on the line of, well, are we, are we talking about nature? Is that nature versus nurture? No, but biology plays a part. Biology and culture and upbringing and, again, all the complexities and all the layers play a part. They're not the whole story, but they play a part. And so if you're talking about the primary driving force of the feminine, the feminine is driven by emotions and intimate relationships. The feminine force is about opening to love, giving love and receiving love. Now, if you have two people in an intimate relationship, irrespective of their gender, right, and they both are focused, they both have a core masculine essence and their primary driving force is life mission, direction, vision, clarity, um, rigidity, unwavering purpose, you know, physical strength and presence when we're talking about the physical characteristics and maybe the energetic of a masculine. We're talking about we're talking about two people that yes, complement each other at some level and they resonate, but after a while they burn out because they're not complement they're not they're not contrasted energies complementing each other in that way. They're complementing each other in the way of similarity, but that's short lived. Because when you're talking about magnetism, we're talking about a positive charge and a negative charge. That's how the magnet sticks. It's the same with these contrasted energies. We live in a reality of duality, up, down, uh, left, right, uh, dark, light. Like we live in that reality in a 3D world. And so when we're talking about contrasted energies, when we're talking about symbiosis and reciprocity and harmony and flow, we're talking about movement through life. We're talking about having to have contrasted energies working in harmony with each other. Now, the contrasted energies working in harmony with each other is another conversation. And what I mean by that is first you get the, the contrasted complementary energies and then they have to work in harmony and that requires effort as well. However, the outcome can be fucking beautiful. Beautiful. And that's just one example I gave you. You know, like if, we, if we're talking about desires – the masculine responds to challenge. The masculine comes alive at, at the edge of challenge and difficulty. Um, loves competition, loves competing with itself and competing against the world, testing itself through setting a standard or a goal and then breaking through those barriers. The, the masculine wants to possess, it wants to hold, right? And the masculine is also addicted to emptiness. It wants to be free. It wants to be free of stuff. It wants to release itself into the void. This is the expansive masculine. This is the cosmic masculine. It also wants to feel appreciated in terms of desires. 
the core feminine essence wants to feel attractive, noticed, appreciated in that way. The feminine lives in, the, in earthly sensation, lives in a world of, of, of physical sensation, into the body, connection to flow, elements of the natural universe, the natural forces of the cosmos, earthly, earthly bound, is addicted to feeling her sense of emptiness. So wants to be full and embodied all the time. You hear these terms in the femininity, embodied feminine. Right, wants to be in her body, wants to feel understood as well, but doesn't doesn't need the masculine wants to feel understood as well, but the masculine wants to feel more appreciated and seen in that way, whereas the feminine wants to be known, wants to be understood for who she mm-hmm. is in the world. Again, just giving you some examples. And so am I on track with the original question? Yeah, no, it's all so good. No, it's all so good because what's, you know, I want to share as well just briefly is like um, for me, like I kind of mentioned when I used to be dating or putting myself in the world in that way, like leading with, you know, I'm someone who inherently desires a a more masculinely grounded partner. Um, But I was leading with that more masculine side of me because that was how I was presenting myself and how I felt worthy. Like, oh, I've got Mm. this business and I make this money. Mm. And that's that's a cultural imprint. That's a cultural nuance. That's a norm in our society that highly values that expression. And so it's human nature to go to be move and gravitate towards the in group because we don't want to be in the out group because psychologically. And neurologically, from a primal perspective, largely coming from our brainstem and our cerebellum and the, the part of our brain that is, is wired for survival, which is the whole brain, but that part that's most active, if you're in the out group a few hundred thousand years ago or a couple of million years ago as humanoids, you're dead. You're more likely to be dead because it was really strength in numbers because the environment was so volatile. That's why public speaking is so difficult and challenging because if you say one wrong thing, or want something that goes against the majority of the crowd, it feels like you're about to die. <laughs> Your brain's saying you're going to yeah. be in the out group. That's not healthy. Mm. Mm. It's old stuff. Uh, the, well, this is so um, – I was having a conversation with our mutual friend Alexi yesterday and we were talking about essentially the journeys that we've been on to, which is exactly what you're saying, but redefine our own sense of value mm. so that it's like – and this is really like the reclaiming of the feminine. And I think it's really important for women who are wanting to attract masculine men, which, you know, based on in our program, when you asked that question, everyone was just, yes, 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 yes. Um, so again, it's kind of like you say, the primary, primarily most men are masculine essence, primarily most feminine, most women are mm. feminine essence. It's not a hundred percent, but it's yeah. general. And generally we want that polarity. So the, 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 the masculine man wants the feminine woman. The feminine woman wants the masculine mm. man. Um, but again, when when we're not in ownership of, like for myself, I wasn't in ownership of the inherent value and the inherent nature, of, like that. Well, yeah, value of the feminine in me, the flow, the embodiment, the the, the receiving. That I was not a space to really even mm. call in that masculine mm. man because I wasn't presenting or leading with that, or even knowing that that was Mm. enough and I think that's a thing too it's like am I enough for the man that I want that was a story Mm. I used to have but I was not in ownership of like yes that feminine essence for a man is like so amazing but a lot of women haven't connected to that and it's a journey I'm only at the beginning of it but um it's a huge context shift for me and how I look at dating and how I present myself and how in ownership I am of myself. Too. Yeah, for sure. And that, you know, you, you get to work on 
you get to work on a heap of stuff around, you know, your own self-worth and, and mm-hmm. who you are and how you want to present in the world as a woman as well, as a person, just as yeah. a human being. Yeah, and that's – absolutely. And that's – it was – I was having a conversation with my friend Siani the other day and we were saying, you know, isn't it just crazy how hard it is or how, not necessarily how hard, but how much work we have to do just to get to a place that we feel that who we are as we are is just enough. That it how do we get pay. to that place? Like that's – well, no, the fact that we have to – I mean, yes, you can definitely answer that question, but I just was more pointing out like how crazy it is that we live in a world that we actually have to do so much active work to get to a place of self-worth just inherently in who we are. Like we have to work to get there. Like I have had to work to get there. Oh, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like <laughs> that's wild just to get to the place where you're kind of like, oh, I'm actually pretty awesome or even pretty okay. Yep. Like the amount of hours <laughs> that's been spent to even get there. It's just it's just wild. Um but maybe you can speak to some of the – like if there's anything that comes to mind that, you know, how people can cultivate that. How they can cultivate deeper levels of self-worth? Yeah. If there's anything that's on your oh, mind. Oh, plenty. Um, let's, start, <laughs> let, let's, start, let's start with this. Let's start with observing how you speak to yourself. Because it begins with awareness, right? There's no point in providing tools and techniques and, and practices and ways of being if we don't have awareness. It's like, let's look at where we've been to figure out where we're going. And at the same time, you can look at where you want to go without looking at where you've been. However, where you've been leaves a bit of a trail. It leaves, a, it leaves clues with respect to sure. who you are. And what type of capacity you're going to have to create what you want? Because if your foundations aren't sturdy, and if they're not, and if you're not, if you haven't really cleared what doesn't serve you anymore, and you're still reliving that in unconscious ways through the actions and the relationship, actions you take and the relationships you have, essentially you're just going to be keep, you're going to keep creating the past that you don't want. And so it's, it's important to pay attention. Okay, who are we being, and who have we been? And so in terms of self-worth, notice how you speak to yourself. Is there a harsh tonality when you make a mistake or when you do something quote-unquote wrong? Uh, do you often think to yourself, you're not good enough for that? Are you a really low risk taker because you don't believe in yourself? Or you don't think you've got the courage or the skills or the access to resources or whatever to be able to achieve something that you really want? Where, you know, where do you come from? What is it? How do you speak to yourself? How do you... How do you communicate with yourself? How do you feel about yourself? Do you give yourself? Do you give to yourself regularly, or do you deny yourself of pleasure and joy? These are, these are good places to start. Is just observing how you treat yourself, just in general. You know that old saying. There's a there's a saying. Oh, if I if I spoke to myself like I if I spoke to my friends like I spoke to myself, I'd have no friends. <laughs> I think that's true for most of us. So we, we we're our own worst critic. Uh, and there's lots of reasons for that. And moving, shifting from that space, I think is one of the, the greatest journeys we can take. And that's a starting point. I just think, just start there. There's no point in me giving you seven different, or providing yeah. seven different techniques. Do that for a month. Do that for at least a month where you on the, set an alarm on your phone every hour and just reflect on that hour. If you're serious about this, just reflect on that hour. How have you spoken to yourself? And remember, there's 70,000 thoughts that we have in a day. So, you know, there's a lot to reflect on. But just, just 
roughly, like just think about, okay, did I have an encounter, an experience then with someone? Did I was like, what was I thinking in that experience? Was I speaking to myself negatively? Was I mm. was I down on myself for not taking a risk? Was I blaming myself? Do you use blaming and shaming and judgmental language? I want to know about that. Do that for a month. Record mm. that for a month for every waking hour and graph it out if you want. I mean, that's more of an analytical process, but you don't have to do that per se. But <laughs> just pay attention to your thoughts. At, in, at the end of the evening, be yeah. reflective on the day that you had and say and ask yourself, have I really been nice to myself today? Have I, have I been mean? You know what? What you know when when people when people hear something else when people give you something, are you are you they give you a gift? Are you, no, 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 I can't take that. No, 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 it's okay, it's okay. Or when they give you a compliment, do you deflect? You know, are you one of those people that says, "Oh yeah, but anyone could have done that." Oh yeah, yeah, yeah it was nothing, it was nothing, it was nothing. Oh, it's all good, it's all good. Mm-hmm. You know, because if you're deflecting, mm-hmm. what's it saying about your self worth and your ability to receive? Oof. Yeah, which is. The receiving piece is so yeah. juicy, especially I think for a lot of uh, probably both men and women, but I will speak from my experience with myself and my friends. It's a, it's a journey to learn how to do that. And, and I will just echo back what you said and underline it in a sense like with the self-worth being such a valuable journey to go on. And I would say it's the single most important but, journey to go on because it's the center point of yes. everything yeah, Receiving is particularly <laughs> difficult for, for people. And, again, because we, we have a, a low self-worth society, low self-esteem, I'm not enough, right. particularly difficult for women and, bec- and, and, and those that are in their core essence of femininity because receiving is a feminine energy. And we live in a society of, of – it's, it's a paradox, right? It's interesting because we live in a very selfish society which is by default sort of receive, I want more, I want more, I want more. Yet we don't, we, we feel guilty for the receiving and we need more of the receiving. It, like, enough is never enough. And so there's a flaw there. There's, this, this is the paradox, this is the oxymoron. There's a flaw there in our ability to receive. And when we do, it's almost forced, and I'm generalizing, of course, and how we then receive, so, oh, we need more, it's not enough. Because we're not actually satisfied with the receiving because we don't value ourselves. And we live in a world of masculine energy that is, is dominant in our society, which is, is a giving energy, right, in, in terms of it's a penetrative energy. And so receiving becomes even more difficult because especially for women that are not, yeah, it's not, it's not valued, because especially for, for females that are unable to tap into their their feminine energy or their core essence of femininity and the, and the love that they can have for themselves in that space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, yes. I, I used to have a hard time even just having a man pay for mm. me on a date, you know, like that was just the level to which I was mm. so uncomfortable to receive because I thought that there was, I'm not valuable, uh, he's going to think I'm a gold digger. I mean, and that's just a, you know, a, a specific worldly example, but like you gave some great ones as well around the deflecting and it's, yeah, the the self-worth journey. And it's one of those things that sounds so simplistic because everybody talks about it, self-love, self-esteem, self-worth. But truly only for me in the last probably even two months have I stepped even deeper into embodying that in a greater capacity and understanding the importance of that and like really building the self-worth without all of the things I thought I needed in order to feel valuable. And it's such a, an amazing place to be. And it's obviously a never-ending journey, but it's also just the center point to anything mm. else um so really 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 valuable um and I think that also when we mentioned some things that you can do and we're going to wrap up in a second but um 
I think for me, like two of the things that have been really great entry points for me were the biggest insecurities in my life. So my the relationship with my body and then my relationship with men, which were obviously inter, intertwined. But those two things led me down this journey mm. of really cultivating this deep sense of self-worth through doing the work. And they were kind of my entry mm. points. So, you know, for you guys listening, maybe there's an entry point in your life that's really the like taking a lot of your time and energy and where you feel the least amount of self-worth and that could be a really great entry point to that journey onto how you really discover and cultivate um, that inherent sense of self-worth regardless of all the things society tells us we need before mm. we can be in any way valuable <laughs> to society. Yep. yep, I hear that. All right, before we wrap up, I just want a couple of questions and we've obviously given so, so, so much already um, in this so it's not necessarily a big question but what would you say to people that are you know really looking to call in maybe their their relationship in 2020 like maybe it's just like one or two things because obviously we've already just given them a lot here but maybe a couple of things that are the most important if they're you know wanting to call that in like for me for example being in the program with you guys it's like trusting and knowing that that person is even out there and you know continuing to show up to put myself in the place where I'm available for that um, so maybe this is a couple of things to remind someone that's out there that's really looking I really believe I really believe in setting a foundation for what you want and so having clarity around that and so what I mean by that is you need to believe you need to have a belief system that there are yeah. If there are good people out there, however you define good, there are healthy people out there that want healthy relationships and that are willing to grow with you. And that leads me to the next part is willingness. You have to be willing. You have to be willing to look at your own stuff. You have to be willing to get uncomfortable. You have to be willing to learn how to receive. You've got to be willing to look in your past. You've got to be willing to dream big. Yeah. You've got to be willing to take risks. You've got to be willing to love. You've got to be willing to put your heart in, in, in a relationship if you really want the most out of it. Integrity, you know, what are you, you're demanding a lot, but what are you putting in? You'll be willing. So have a belief that there are healthy people mm. out there. Look for those healthy models. Look for those healthy individuals and healthy relationships. Get a, get a clear model. Maybe you didn't get that as a kid. Get it as an adult and, and, and seek that. And then, and then be willing. Be really willing to, to do the work and go there and be willing to just give yourself and allow yourself to receive. Oh, I love that. Honestly, just that word yeah. willing. I it's think a is crux. So, it's so, honestly the crux so of my teaching in, 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 in so much yes. of what I do and in so much of what I do. Willingness is every, I mean, oh. in our, my relationship with Christine, yep. willingness is what has mm. pulled us through some very challenging times individually and as a couple. Mm. And willingness is the crux of our teaching together as a couple as well. Uh, it's it's mm. fucking the shit. It's everything. <laughs> yes really. that's definitely how I yes it is fucking the shit that's absolutely true it is but it's I mean because anything can be it, it like the willingness to yeah. lean in you yeah. know to each other to the relationship to yourself to life like that is everything that's all that really needs to be there is is that willingness so I think that in itself is huge um okay final two questions what do you most wish that women would know about men and then vice versa because you obviously work with a lot of women and a lot of men so what do you most wish that women knew about men and what do you most wish that women men knew about women what what I what I would my my greatest desire at the moment for what women, what I would love for women to know about men, is that yeah. you know don't don't let the often hard exterior fool you. 
men are harboring fear and and suppressed pain in in so many different ways sexual abuse physical abuse emotional abuse mm. um and and that goes both ways of course but that, that would be the, the thing i would say for women yeah. uh, around men and for yeah. what i really would want men to know about women is that they are learning to trust again and we need to fucking be patient mm. and we need to be compassionate mm. and hold that space and keep doing our work and keep showing up but just know that women are really learning to trust again in different ways and there are some pioneers out there uh, you know yourself included and my my wife included um, and, and so many other women that I know that are just mm-hmm. are, are, are saying we love you we love men and we forgive you we forgive mm-hmm. ourselves we forgive we just forgive and they they're coming back into trust again and we need to be patient as men and that's really important Oh, that's beautiful. That brought a little bit of tears to my eyes. Mm. (laughs) I love that. I love that. And again, just, uh, I just want to acknowledge you for being such a beautiful stand for both men and women and harmony between us and for really leading the charge and supporting men to, you know, come back home to themselves, to accept themselves, to do whatever it is that they need to do in the way that only a man can lead that. So I am so grateful to you for, uh, you know, all the men that you're helping and all the women that you're helping and, and, um, just really, really, in deep reverence for the work that you do and really grateful um, to have such an amazing male role model as well in my life. So thank you so much, Steph, and thank you so much for being so um, generous and open today. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I deeply appreciate it. Okay, and just perfectly um, before I forget, where is the best place that we can get a hold of you? Who do you work with? What's the best way that people can get really, really up into this work? Because I know you, we really only just touched the surface of what you do and I know that you're like doing your shaman training and so much in-person physical work as well. So um, how can people get access to that and what's the best place for people to go? Yeah, for sure. So of course you can go on my website or any of my social media handles, stephanosafandos or stephanosafandos.com. But I want to direct you to my website and and soon, this will probably be released before the um, actual uh, proper page will be up, but you can access this on my website. I've I've got a free quiz that I give people that is basically identifying your love block. And remember we spoke about that awareness piece being the most, the first and initial piece that's the most important before you can implement tools and techniques. This quiz, it's a short quiz, but it's super comprehensive and it's so detailed. It helps you understand what is your biggest love block or love blocks and actually provides you with it actually provides you with tools and awareness pieces to help move through that. And that's something that, that you can find on my website, um, stephanosafanos.com. But it will, in, you know, in a couple of months' time, it will be, or probably less actually in a few weeks, it will actually be on a different URL, but I just haven't organized that just yet. Yeah. Perfect. Well, we'll have all of the links down below. And obviously, if people follow you on Instagram, then they can get all of the updated for when that's live. Because that sounds yeah. amazing. And I would like you to DM of me course. that as soon as yeah, it's yeah, live. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> I love it. Because again, that awareness is so yeah. powerful. All right, Steph, thank you so, so, so much. I appreciate you. And um, everybody, get on Instagram and follow Steph as well because she shares a lot over there and a lot of really, really, really epic value. Um, so make sure you go and do that. And we'll uh, see you on the next, on thank the flip you. side. <laughs>